Well, I know who the intrepid are now, who can absorb that hour time change and still come to church. It's amazing. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, in fact, at 10 o'clock, I'm going to stand up and give another welcome, just for the people who didn't change their clocks. <laughs> and I want you to act like we're just starting, okay? <laughs> oh, we're continuing. Actually, we're wrapping up this series called Good News People. I hope it's been good news to you. I hope it's been challenging. I hope it's caused you to think a little bit about how we can take good news into the world. If you're wondering where we've been, these are all the things that we've talked about. If you've missed any of them, you can always catch them on our YouTube channel, on Facebook, or at wordserve.org slash sermons if you just want to cut to the chase and uh, see just the sermon. Uh, today, though, we are wrapping it up with a thing called Do the New. I bet you can't guess what we're going to talk about. Jesus. All right, so <laughs> again, I'm lobbing softballs across the plate. All right, so here's my question to start this all off. Have you ever wondered what God's up to? All the time. You and me both, man. Sometimes God just seems silent. I mean, you've, you've probably experienced this. I, I have experienced this at times in my life. Um, I, was, I was researching some stuff, and I got onto a website last night. Somehow the Air Force has this way of just pulling you in, right? And so I got on this website. I clicked a thing. I clicked a thing. I clicked a thing. And there's this list of retirees coming up. And some of them were four-star generals. And some of them I knew when they were younger than me. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, that person was responsible for something? No, <laughs> I'm teasing. They're good people. They're good people. But it just reminded me that, uh, you know, sometimes you, you don't know what's ahead of you. And sometimes you don't know where God's going to take you. And, and I would venture to guess that any one of those people at the start of their career, if you told them they're going to be a four-star general responsible for the safety of the United States, they probably said, I don't think so. Actually, I would have said, I don't think so. But they change. God works through them and does amazing things, gives us experiences, good and bad. And you can take them all and make them work for the good of the kingdom. And God can do that through us. So that's my encouragement to us. But sometimes God seems silent. Now, maybe you've experienced this. Maybe you've seen it in your family. You've been praying for a breakthrough with a relationship that's strained. And God seems silent. Maybe you've been praying for what's next for me, God, whether that's a job, whether that's the next step in life after you graduate from school. What's next, God? And God seems silent. Isn't that frustrating? But how many people believe that there is a God who is at work, whether we hear him or not? See, that is our ultimate hope and confidence because he is a God who works, who never sleeps, who never slumbers, who has a plan to profit us and not to harm us. That's the God that we serve. And so my encouragement this morning is to remind us that while we may not hear, God is always at work. I questioned it most recently when I look at, at uh, news events, and you know, one of the questions that we're asking in our spiritual conversations is, what do you think of the social climate? Holy smokes. I have not seen it this divided since maybe the Vietnam War. And I was just a kid then, but I watched the news reports, too young to understand, why are these people so angry all the time? And yet we're seeing it again. We're seeing weird things happen in our schools. We're seeing weird things happen in our politics. We've never been more polarized. Where is God? Why is he silent? God, do something. That's my, my heart's cry. God, do something. Fix this. Now, there's two ways to look at this. And it depends on, on how you want to focus. 
One is we can say, wow, what a mess, what a loss. The other one is to say, wow, what an opportunity for people of good news. I found this quote. I have no idea who this person is, but I like the quote. <laughs> loss provides an opportunity to take inventory of our lives, to reconsider priorities, and to determine new directions. If we're feeling like maybe we've lost our way, if we feel like some of the things that are going on in our politics, in our schools, in our families, in our neighborhoods have looked like a lost generation, then maybe it's time to reconsider, reprioritize, head out in a new direction. And lest you wonder, are we the only ones that have ever dealt with this? Oh, contraire, this book is full of them, and we're going to talk about one of them today. So the setting for today's passage is going to come out of Isaiah. We're going to be in chapter 43, if you want to turn there in advance for the, those playing the home game. And what's happening here is the prophet Isaiah, this, he's talking to a group of people who is right in the middle of Babylonian captivity. Now, doesn't that sound like a party? <laughs> yeah, it was not. And so these people are in the middle of Babylonian captivity. They can barely remember freedom, if they can at all, and they have no end in sight. You talk about hopeless. This is the most hopeless of hopeless people. They have no way out. They're, uh, depending on which scholar you read, they're 900 to 1,200 miles from home. And if you go the 900 route, which is shorter, there's nothing but sand and desert. If you go the 1,200 mile, you can at least follow a river and get back home. But who's going to do that? They're, they're caught in Babylonian captivity. This is a hopeless, hopeless time for them. And so the uh, prophet Isaiah has some words for them, and that's what we're going to read today. That's uh, a picture. It's <laughs> the background for the scripture. It's a time change, people. Come on. <laughs> All right, this is what the prophet Isaiah has to say to Israel. This is what the Lord says. Now, now let me stop there for just a second, because when prophets speak, when people speak, it's like, oh, that's interesting, so-and-so said that. But when a prophet says, this is what the Lord says, they're not making this up. This isn't something they Googled. This is God speaking through humans. So this is where you really have to hone in on what God's intention is. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and the horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness, the streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself that they may proclaim my praise. These are the words of God for the people of God, and for these words we are grateful. Isn't that invigorating? God is doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Can you not see it? If I'm being honest with you, sometimes I can't see it, and I don't perceive it. But I am confident that there is a God at work, and I'm confident that it's going to be good, and I'm confident there's a place for me in that. My job is to figure out how and where. So what is God saying here? Well, first of all, it is God speaking, as we said. This is the prophet saying this is what the Lord says. But look at some of these things that he's saying. He's recalling something very significant in their past. What is it? The Red Sea. Yeah, you remember that whole story? If you watch The Prince of Egypt from Disney, you know, the, the 
I don't want to do the soundtrack. I don't want to make anybody nauseous. But uh, so <laughs> here, here's the thing. Israel has been looking at their past. And maybe there's some people in the middle of this Babylonian captivity saying, oh, well, he's going to send some guy, and they're going to rescue us, and he's going to do something, and then we're going to go back home and do it all over again. And God is saying, forget the past. Doesn't that sound weird from a God who always introduces himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Why would you do that? To remind them of their past. I am the God who, and he will name all the things that he has done. To remind them of how he has worked in their past. Why is he saying, forget the things of the past? I think in, in reality, what he's saying is, hey, you know what I did in the past? That's nothing compared to what I'm about to do. Forget that. That was nothing. Look at, look at what's coming. This is going to be epic. And what is it that's epic? Well, that's what we're going to unpack today. But I tell you, it involves you and me. So get ready. Strap on your seatbelts because God's got a mission for us. It's big and it's scary. But man, what an adventure. And I want to invite you on that adventure this morning. So as we look at what was in the past, you know, if you look at, at Israel in their past and the Red Sea specifically around that whole Exodus thing, you might be thinking, well, I'm, I'm recounting God's deeds, what, what God did for me there. And that's true. But there's always two sides to the story, isn't there? If they look at the past, if Israel looks at their past, you can also see where they weren't exactly true to that God, even in the middle of that exodus. How many of you have ever wondered, you know, if God would just show up, if God would just speak to me, if God would just show me the way, oh, things would be so different. I would love him and obey him. I would never say a foul word, never cut anybody off in traffic. I don't know, fill in your own blank. I don't know what you do, but just don't do it with a word sir sticker on the back window. But the point is, Israel had God's presence. I mean, he had a plague that set them free. He had a, fill, a pillar of uh, fire and a cloud. He, he caused all these miracles to happen, manna to fall from heaven, quail, when they complained about the diet. And what did they do? You cannot imagine what they did. In fact, uh, here's your homework assignment. You can Google this. You can uh, write it down in your phone or whatever. Read Psalm 106. 106. And in that psalm, which is huge, I'm not going to read it to you, it's immense. It's everything that Israel did wrong. In the midst of receiving God's guidance and the Ten Commandments, what were the Israelites doing down in the mountain? They were partying. They made a golden calf. And that's not exactly the direction we were headed there. That's not the new thing I wanted to do. Right? Uh, and repeatedly they grumbled, they complained, they wandered for 40 years. And you see this litany of things that they did, but it really boils down to two things. And these are the two things I want to pull forward for us today because I think they still apply. One was apathy. Israel didn't really care. I mean, how could you not care when you saw that miracle? I don't know. I wasn't there. And I shudder to think if I was there, I saw that, and I didn't care. It's a human characteristic. It's not unique to these people. We all do it. If you don't believe me, just think for a minute. You, you've probably seen God do some amazing things in your life. Or you've seen it happen to other people. And yet the very next week, we're like doing our own thing and forgot all about God. Am I alone in this? You don't have to answer that. I know. I talk to you. <laughs> I really got to stop making those jokes. You're not going to talk to me. <laughs> So, so we do the same thing. We, we have an apathy in it. Maybe it's not a deliberate apathy, like I'm purposefully not going to care about God today, but we load ourselves with so many other cares. 
that it becomes relative, meaning, yeah, I care about God, but these are the things I care about more. And God just gets shuffled down to the list. Is it apathy? Yeah, I think it's a form of apathy. Because like the quote said, you have to redetermine priorities. And if God's not our number one priority, then something else is. And that's what we care about. That's where our, our concerns are. So we have to be on guard for that apathy. We can't let God's miracles slip away from us. We can't stop for a minute and not think, this is the creator of the universe talking to me, listening to me. The one who knows the very numbers on my head, the one who hung the stars in the sky, that God has me in mind. Does that not floor you? It does me. Every time I stop and think about it, if I stop and think about it, and that's my point. We have to make God a priority. We can't not care. The other thing that the Israelites were guilty of, and, and you see it in Psalm 106, and, and I'm not making this up. Read Psalm 106. It will shock you, all the things that they did. It's called syncretism. That's the official theological word. Uh, now you can look like you know what you're talking about. What does that mean? It means you take several things of, of religious nature, several religions. You kind of put them in a blender, and something pops out, and that's what you do. So when you read Old Testament accounts of when they've kind of gone south, it's because they're bringing other elements of worship. One of the first things that the Judge Gideon does is he pulls down the Asherah pole. Well, what's that about? Well, I don't know, it's like, I don't know, dancing around an oak tree at midnight. You know, there's other things that they're bringing in. And one of the things that God says is, I am a jealous God. You should have no other gods before me. The syncretism doesn't work when you're talking about the one true God. It's pure. He's holy. He's set apart. We can't be blending other things in, and yet we do it all the time, do we not? We take elements of good thoughts, pop psychology. Uh, there are far worse things that people take into account. And so you have to be careful that we don't blend and dilute the true God. There's power there when it's pure. And there's not power when it's not. We can easily be led astray. So the two things that we need to counter are apathy, alarms, and <laughs> is that me? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Sorry, well, yeah, I always just blame myself because there's, there's typically a sound thing and it's related to build. That's what you should know about words are, right? So uh, uh, the, the apathy, uh, we got to make sure that we, we put God on that first priority, that we're always paying attention. Uh, for the one who loved us the most. And then the second thing is we have to keep it pure. We can't allow other things to come into this. And that was the message of Jesus, was it not? Isn't that the reason that he came? So that all that other stuff could be taken away from us? I kind of think it is. So a couple things to think about. Look at the, the text one more time here. The, the two things I want to point out is that even though God knows that we've done all these things and we'll probably do them again, he's still on the move. And look at the first thing that he says. Uh, let me find the verse here. See, I am doing a new thing. I am making a way in the wilderness. So no matter how crazy the world looks out there, no matter how wild west it looks, God is making a way. He's clearing a path, if you will. But here's two important things to remember when God clears a path. First of all, God clears the path. Now, let me say that one more time. God clears the path. Wordsworth doesn't clear the path. 
Bill doesn't clear the path. God clears the path. Why is that significant? Because I don't know how many times I've been frustrated by the path I've been trying to make. I've been trying to hack through this jungle, and I just can't make any progress. And if I would stop for a second, put down the machete, and go, oh, that's where you wanted me to go. It's a path. God made it. All we have to do is walk it. The other thing to note is it's a path. Did I just blot the thing? Sorry. I'm going to take my finger off the trigger. <laughs> it's a path. That means we don't just sit here and wait for God to do something. God is calling us up. Dry bones come alive. Step out into this mission. It's a path, not a sitting circle, not an amphitheater, not even this. Now, I'm not giving you permission to not come to church, okay? <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. We come here to get organized, equipped, and trained so that when we walk the path, we can do the mission. And what is the mission? To make disciples, right? To bring the good news to the people as good news people. That's our mission. So it's a path that God makes. It's a path that requires us to move, to follow where God's leading. It's not a place to sit and relax. The other thing that he says is, I bring streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, form for myself that they may proclaim my praise. If you live in a desert environment, do you have any idea how valuable and life-giving water is? I, I did, uh, Ron and I had the opportunity to serve the Air Force in a place called Del Rio, Texas. How many people have been there? <laughs> My second question is, why? <laughs> it is desert, folks. I mean, we literally looked at our backyard and, it, I mean, cactus, snakes, you name it. It was desert. And it was hot. And we flew a lot there. And it was baking on the tarmac every day. I'm not kidding when I said that. They had little temperature gauges on the crew chief's uh, shacks so that you could monitor the temperature because you had restrictions on how long you could be out. It was not uncommon to see 125. And you were wearing the flight suit, the gear, and all that stuff. And I'm melting. You know, that kind of thing. That's, that's what it was like. It was hot. Do you have any idea how many bottles of water I went through in a day? I mean, literally, I would buy one of those packs. You know, they come in the plastic. You know you're in trouble when you do like about 10 of those and you haven't made a trip to the, the little room yet, right? It's like, wow, I am really dehydrated. Water is important in the desert. And so when Jesus, or excuse me, when Isaiah uses this example, he's speaking right to their culture. Now, you people know what no water is like, but look what water can do. Even in a desert, water can bring life. And this is what he promises. I'm going to bring this stream into the wasteland. And two things we need to know about water. Water flows. Any Bruce Lee fans here? One? Okay. Be like water. Anybody remember that phrase he said? He was famous for it. It's always flowing. When you encounter an obstacle, you don't sit there and go, oh, well, stop me up. You go around it, or you go under it, or you go over it, but you keep going. That's the first thing we've got to understand about our God. He's not going to be stopped. He's not even going to be stopped by the, the mightiest obstacle we can imagine. He's going to find a way around it, or under it, or over it. And here's the other thing that won't stop God. My apathy. My lack of care. My syncretism. That's not going to stop God. My objections. Oh, God, I'm not the right person for this job. You need to find somebody else. Uh, no. I called you. I'm equipping you. Even the greats in the Bible had that experience. 
Moses himself, when he was told to be the deliverer of Egypt, it's like, what about my brother? He speaks good. You can name a million examples where somebody said, not me, and God said, uh-huh, you're the one I pick. I'm not going to be stopped by your objection. And, and here's the part that always gets me. Maybe I say, no, God, I'm not going to do that. God's not going to be stopped. Maybe he uses somebody else. And I missed a wonderful opportunity, an opportunity to build his kingdom. Now, I'm not saying that these wonderful opportunities are, you know, like the, the best and most comfortable things. In fact, many of them are the most uncomfortable thing you can imagine. That picture of the, the path that we showed a while back, you're never going to see the path clearly. And I'm convinced that if we did, we would never step out on that path because the end looks too scary, too big. We've not seen God at work in our lives enough to take on that big challenge at the end of that path. But God knows if we'll just take that step and trust him and then take the next step and trust him, then by the time we get to that thing, we will be ready. God will be living in and working through us. I think he does that on purpose because he knows what chickens we are. <laughs> I don't want to see the end. It would be too scary. But I'll take that next step. And I think that's why he does it. So when God seems silent, maybe it's because we're not ready. I almost feel like Jack Nicholson. You can't handle the truth, right? I don't think God yells that. But I think he thinks that. Because he knows us. He made us. He knows exactly what's on the inside of us. So being like water, don't let anything stop us. Nothing is going to stop God. Go around it. Go under it. Go over it. Whatever. But keep going. Don't sit. And know this, that water brings life. So if, as we're out there on our mission of making disciples, and we're going over, around, under, or whatever it takes to make disciples of Christ, if what we're doing is not bringing life, maybe we've got some mixed water. We need to be bringing the living water, that one that flows out of our hearts for those who believe. That's in John 7, 37, 38, in case you're interested. Read that sometime and understand that what we do should bring life. And I don't mean just living, that's existing. I mean spiritual life. I mean renewal, revival. If you've ever been severely dehydrated and then gotten hydrated again, you feel like a new person. Or at least I do. I was hoping I'd get bigger when I drank too, but that didn't really work out. I don't know, I'm kind of built to dissipate heat. <laughs> Go figure. But we should be seeing signs of life in all of that. And if we're not, Maybe we need to go back to our source and make sure that we've got the pure living water. And my great fear is that we become good pews people, not good news people. Good pews people are comfortable sitting in a seat. Good pews people check off the block. I'm not talking about word server first full server. I'm talking about everybody else, right? Good pews people check off the block on Sunday because I went to church. I did my spiritual thing. I'm good to go. I'm going to go live my life now. Unfortunately, that's not the way we're designed. We come to church, like I said, to get organized, trained, and equipped so that when we live our life, we live it in a way that glorifies Jesus. So that in everything we do, everything we say, everything we think, we are making disciples of Christ. And when I say we, I mean we and we. I'm not smart enough to do this by myself. I don't have enough love for this world. My love runs out pretty quick. I found that out. I have a small tank, but you know who has an endless tank? That's the second softball of the morning. All right, we're hitting home runs. Jesus does. That's why we're supposed to love God first and then love neighbor. 
not the other way around. That's going to burn you out. So how do, we, how do we do this? How do we keep going forward? Instead of being good pews people, let's transition into good news people. One of the ways that we want to equip you to do that is to, I'm calling it Operation Relevant Questions. It's the best I could do on short notice, all right? So here's the website. And uh, what I want to encourage you all to do, this is going to come out on social media. You also saw the video this morning of the questions that we're going to ask. And I'm not asking you to have a theological degree. I'm not asking you to do something crazy. What I'm going to ask you to do is to look at this list of questions that we've prepared that will come out on social media and just have some conversations with people you already know as you go about your day. Maybe people who don't have a church home or don't know Jesus. Maybe people who have fallen away or been hurt by the church because that's possible too. That's a whole other sermon series, being de-churched and hurt by the church. But here's what we're asking you to do. Go to the website, and uh, since it's a little hard to see, there you go, up in the upper right there, it says uh, events calendar. Click on that bad boy. You can even do this right now, because if I'm boring you, you can get on your phone with a good excuse. All right, events calendar. It's going to take you right here, which, by the way, if you ever want to know what's going on at WordSurf, there you go. For example, there's no youth tonight. Did I mention that? I did. All right. So events calendar. Click over here where it says operation relevant questions. And you will see the explanation of what we're about. Here's the goal and here's why we're doing it. It's just a simple explanation. If you scroll down further on that page, you will see all the questions that are going to come out over the next couple weeks on social media. You're saying, Bill, this is great. I have spiritual conversations. What do I do with the information that I've gleaned? Glad you asked, because if you keep scrolling down, whoops. <laughs> I was just seeing if you're awake. <laughs> if you keep scrolling down, uh, you will see some instructions that basically say, whatever answers you get, we want to make this non-attribution. We don't want to say, hey, Bill said he doesn't love God. No. What we want to do is capture the themes. And by capture, I mean you can do one of two things. You can either put it in on the social media comments because it's going to come out on Facebook and Instagram. So you see, okay, today's question is, what do you think of the social climate? You go have a conversation. Hey, what do you think of the social climate? How can the church help that? And you take the answer, minus the person, and come back to social media and say, the church should be, I don't know, selling donuts on Sunday morning. Whatever it is, but enter it in the comments. Or, or if, you could, if you don't do social media, Email info at wordserve.org. We're going to collect all these answers. And if you don't do either one of those, just tell me. Write it on a napkin. Send a carrier pigeon. Whatever it is that you do. But let me know. And this is where I have to stop for a second and say, yes, WordServe, I am talking to you. Because every time I try to do these surveys and ask for feedback, I get two people. And then I have to come back and say, hey, we've got two responses. Is that glorifying the kingdom? I don't want to guilt you into it, but I just did. So... <laughs> Make sure that you're having these conversations with people. And make sure the information gets back. Why? Because here's the master plan. All these people that we talk to that don't know Jesus, have been disenfranchised from the church, don't have a solid relationship with Christ, aren't experiencing this living water, we're going to invite them to our Easter service. That's when people come anyway. It's a very natural thing to do. Hey, we're doing Easter. You want to come to church? Yeah, you bet. It's going to be epic. Jimmy's already got a million things planned. I'm not even sure what they are. I'm not even sure I want to know. It's going to be epic because that's the Sunday that Jesus is risen. That alone should be enough worth the price of admission. And on that Sunday, when all these people that you've invited are here, we're going to say, hey, 
we have a list of questions, and it's going to be our next sermon series. We would love for you to come back and hear your questions answered. So if I get no questions, that sermon series is going to be the shortest ever. I'm just going to stand up and tell jokes, which might be funny but not really advance the kingdom. In fact, it might be inappropriate. <laughs> so, so please, take the questions. Have the conversations. Make sure you get that information back to us in non-attribution so that we can create this sermon series, get it out there, and get people engaged. I want WordServe to be relevant to this community. I want WordServe to be making a difference in the lives of us and of them so that there is no longer us and them. It's just us. That's the way Christ intended it. So the bottom line of all this, it's time for dry bones to come alive. It's time for us to stop being good pews people who look like this. Maybe it's apathy, maybe it's weariness, I don't know what it is, but maybe this is the time that we stop and think, what is it that we're really doing? What are the priorities? Where are we going to make a difference? I've only got so much energy and so much time. How much am I willing to give to Christ? And understand that it's not an either or. When I give time to Christ at work, I don't stop doing work. When I give time to Christ at school, I don't stop doing school. I bring Christ to school. I bring Christ to work. I bring Christ to my marriage, to my family, to my community, to my neighborhood. That's the path that Christ calls us to walk. That's the way that he is making. And the new thing that he is doing, he's not going to show up and do some uh, amazing miracle. He's going to go, hey, I've got good news. I'm sharing it with you. Here's the path I'm equipping you to walk. I want you to carry the living water so that we bring life to the world. Now go, do this new thing. Wouldn't that be amazing? We need to stop being good pews people. The world needs good news. So let's be good news people. Will you pray with me, please? God, thank you for that good news that you've given us. At the same time, help us to recognize that good news was bought at a tremendous price. That good news was brought not out of comfort, but out of discomfort and limitation, out of betrayal, out of suffering. But God, you did all that because of your great love for us. But God, teach us to love you all the more. Teach us to not have apathy. Take those hearts of stone, turn them to flesh once more. Help us to retain that first love that we had when we first realized who you were in our lives. And if we haven't made that realization yet, make today that day where we see you clearly. Where we see the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, and the lengths to which you're willing to go to bring us back, to give us life. God, give us that this morning so that we can serve you better. Make the path evident to us. Give us courage to take those steps and help us to walk the way that you've given us, carrying the living water not our own, not something we've blended, but the pure living water of God. Give us strength, give us courage, give us love, give us grace. In Jesus' name.